Are you ready to become toxic person proof? Hey guys, Sarah K. Ramsey here to help you find love and success after a toxic relationship so you can design a life you're actually excited about living. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah, and I'm here with Sherry Gaba, who has 20 years of wisdom behind her as a psychotherapist, life coach, and certified recovery coach. We're talking love addiction, codependency, domestic abuse, all this fun stuff, right, Sherry? <laughs> because of the healing that occurs, right? It is fun, and there is healing is possible. Yes, for sure. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. So tell them a little bit more about what you do. Uh, Well, I started out working in addiction because I married an alcoholic and I was invited to be on Celebrity Rehab, BH1 Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. And so my whole thing was helping people that were struggling with addiction and uh, alcohol abuse. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm, this is so codependent. Like I'm married to an alcoholic and yet my story is really love addiction and codependency. So about three years ago, I just sort of took everything, you know, move, you know, dropped it on its head. And I said, okay, I'm going to start working with people that are love addicts, codependents like myself and work with, um, you know, people to help them that, you know, if they've been in a narcissistic relationship or toxic relationship, that often is part of, you know, the love addiction piece. And that's how they got there. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. And I absolutely love it. And it's, it's just been amazing and definitely not a codependent thing to do. (laughs) So love addiction, like what a weird word. Um, How do you know if you're love addicted or someone you care about is love addicted? Well, what's funny is the word addiction really scares people off. So even though something that's been around, you know, people have written about it, Pia Melody, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's not necessarily diagnosable or pathology, but it is a true addiction. And so Love addiction is really what we call a process addiction or a soft addiction or a lifestyle addiction. So it's similar to food addiction, or if you were a binge eater, or you were a sex addict, or an exercise addict, or an internet addict, or whatever, game shopping, spending. It's really a mood altering behavior rather than actually a substance. And guess what? It, you have the same euphoric states that you would of a mood altering substance. So, so if you're a heroin addict, Oh my God, you would have this need to, to, you know, get your fix. Well, relationship addicts, love addicts have the same, same issue. And really it's their only identity. Everything about them is based on the relationship that they're in or not in. Um, And when they're not in a relationship, they're in, you know, withdrawal, just like an addict, a heroin addict. Um, When a breakup occurs, this, this, the, the love addict really longs for another attachment they want the, those pleasurable feelings back of, the, of that lost relationship, just like the addict craves his drugs. So it's really about over adapting to what other, others want. You have no boundaries because you'll do anything to be in a relationship. So your boundaries are loosey goosey. You have a fear of letting go because, oh, my God, if I let go, then I'll be alone and I'll feel abandoned. I'll feel rejected. I'll feel unwanted. Um, there's a fear of the unknown. And there's this need to change others because you want them to be what you want them to be. So you can get your goodies, which is the relationship. So um, you need others to feel whole. You feel very empty. If you don't have a relationship, you look for others for affirmation and validation for worth. Um, You have, like I said earlier, a, a really deep fear of abandonment. 
There's withdrawal symptoms, like I talked about. Um, we actually give up who we are out of fear that, you know, we won't get someone's approval or we'll be alone. And, you know, that was my story, my early trauma, which is based on how I just was born to be a love addict based on my early, early trauma. And I get into that if you want, but that really is what love addiction is. So every personality test I've ever taken has says like, I'm like a hundred percent extrovert, which I find interesting. It's like my, I don't need much alone time at all to charge. But as I was hearing you describe love addiction or relationship addiction, well, you know, in my case, it could be friendship addiction or something. The difference is I need you to think I'm okay for me to be okay. Is that the difference? Well, that that could also be codependency. So codependent, I think every love addict is absolutely a codependent, but not every codependent is a love addict because a codependent is someone that you can be codependent with your, like you said, your friendships, your neighbors, you know, your church, your temple, your school, you're a people pleaser, you need constant validation. And And the symptoms are on a continuum. So they range from mild to severe, but it's really needing someone else. I mean, the love, love addiction is really needing a person. A codependent could need a person to feel whole, but they also can need a host of other things to feel like, you know, um, they're needed. So I often codependents and narcissists find each other because codependents need to feel needed. And the narcissist wants you to, to, I guess they have what you would call, and I guess you could explain this even better, a narcissistic supply. So they need all that attention. So they're such a perfect match. But it can range from being in denial, having an enable, you know, being an enabler. Um, it can be about um, trying to control another person. It can, it's, it's just very interesting. I mean, you know, basically it's typically they come from dysfunctional homes where their needs were not met. They receive very little nurturing. So they kind of have this and they feel invisible inside. So that's why they're always looking outside themselves to feel like there's something, there's someone. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. And and after a breakup, they're looking outside themselves to get that. You get the goodies, I think is the way you said it, which is really cute. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, there's a definitely a difference between codependency and love addiction. Um, but they're but they also overlap a lot. Really Gosh, is. that is fascinating. I don't know that I've thought that much about the difference between the two of those. Well, think of a codependent like constantly needing attention, validation, acknowledgement, and then we'll get into the trauma piece, but that's because they never got it. And mm-hmm. and that's why I do what I do because I don't want people to be ashamed. I don't want them to be ashamed that they've had multiple marriages, multiple relationships. They go from one to the next. There are reasons for this. You know, there's something that happened to them early on that did not get worked through. And it's why I'm a big believer in trauma therapy, uh, really working through this trauma so that you don't have to have someone to feel whole or you don't have to be needed to feel whole. I mean, that's the whole thing with codependence. It's kind of like, let's say you're a caregiver and you have someone that you're taking care of that are, let's say, an older person. It's almost like the codependent, just like the caregiver when that person passes away and they you no longer have that job. The codependent feels the same way. It's like, I'm no longer needed. So who am I? What am I? Who would I be if I didn't have someone else to take care of and focus on? So I was at... Um... <laughs> some people's house. I don't know where this, this is going to get to. So I was at some people's house who may or may not live in my neighborhood. Um, and they were two women talking about not wanting to take a vacation with their husbands because with, when their children aren't with them, they feel like they're missing their right arm was the exact language. Oh yeah. That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly yeah. that's codependent on their kids, I, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. And I was kind of shocked when I heard it. 
also shocked that they thought I was the same way, you know, and obviously I was like, ah, I teach boundaries for a living. So that's probably not what's going on. <laughs> you know, I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's where we have to definitely feel whole within ourselves. And that's where the trauma work comes in because think of addiction or codependency or love addiction. It's a need to leave oneself because being with oneself is so uncomfortable. So whatever these women were saying, they're basically saying, my kids distract me from myself. I mean, I'm not saying they're not great parents and they don't love their kids, but an addiction is anything that distracts us from being with ourselves. And once we can be with ourselves, we don't need these outside distractions. We're really comfortable in our own skin. Um, You know, I, I mean, I can go through a couple of things that sort of define codependency, but it's almost like nothing is too much trouble or takes too much time or is too expensive. They'll help any person they're involved with. They're so accustomed to lack of love in personal relationships. They're willing to wait, hope, and try harder to please. They're willing to take far more than 50% of the responsibility and guilt and blame in any relationship. They usually have very low self-esteem. And deep inside, they believe they must earn the right to enjoy life. They must earn your love. Like, in other words, they must do something to receive love. They're very bad at receiving. They're very good at giving. And that's, again, why they pick narcissists, because narcissists take, 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 or addicts take, take, take. The codependent or love addict is just used to, you know, giving, giving, giving. Um, But then, and then on the the other end of the spectrum, they have a desperate need to control other people. Having experienced very little security in their childhood, they mask their efforts to control people in situations as being helpful. So it's almost manipulative. Like they say, you know, oh, I want to help you, but really what they're doing is if I help you, then you won't be mad at me. And if I, if, if I don't help you, you'll be mad at me and then we'll have to have a confrontation. So it's really like, I'll do this for you. So you're not mad at me, which is very manipulative. Um, so I could just go on and on. There's just being a codependent. Well, that is manipulative. And so I want to bring it back to love addiction and kind of differentiate some of those difference. So Love addiction, maybe they don't need to be needed as much. They just need to be in a relationship. Yeah, love addiction. Yeah, I need to be in a relationship. I love the romantic high of the beginning of a relationship. You know, what's interesting about love addicts, as soon as that high goes away, then they may start looking for somebody else. Or, um, you know, they're in love with the idea of being in love. That's really what love addiction is. And do you see those people relationship hop more often than codependents? I think, I think so. Absolutely. And they definitely, when one, when one relationship ends, they're back into another one. I mean, that would be my story. I could not, to be alone was excruciatingly painful, just like an addict would be in a lot of pain if they didn't have their alcohol or drugs. You know, I was born premature. I was two and a half months early. I was in an incubator. I'm quite a bit older than you, Sarah. And in those days, they didn't have mother's bond with their babies when they were premature because they were afraid that the mother would give the baby germs. So basically I had no human touch for two and a half months. I was fed through my feet. I highly doubt the nurses picked me up because they didn't really have to. I was fed through my feet. So I didn't get that early bonding. So from the time I was, you know, put brought into this world, I was always looking outside myself, please pick me up, please love me, please want me. And so that was really my story. I mean, like if my parents would go out on a Saturday night, my brother would be like, bye, have fun, bye-bye. And I'd be crying, please don't go, please don't go. Because I needed that connection so badly. And so in my life, my adult life, I did anything to have connection. So I settled for less. I, you know, picked partners that weren't good for me because I didn't want to be alone. Even when I saw the red flags, I'd stay anyway. 
this has been a lifelong journey for me. I, I write a lot about it in my book, Love Smacked, um, which is on Amazon. And I talk about my journey. And again, I want to eradicate the shame that there's reasons that we're love addicts. There's reasons that we go from relationship to one relationship to the next. And it doesn't even have to be the kind of trauma that I experience. There's all kinds of trauma that can make somebody a love addict. Um, and, you know, again, the codependency it really is very similar to love addiction. But like you said, the love addict is based, based on the relationship addiction. The codependent is a host of all kinds of other things you know, um, that add to that. You know, when you think of codependency, you think of the, the mom that has a child that's an addict or a partner that's an addict. It doesn't have to be, but often that's the case or the partner that's the narcissist. Um, I mean, the codependent is just constantly needing approval, needing to be needed, always giving, having very difficult time receiving, um, enabling and, and so forth. And I feel like, um, it, I really like that you said codependency is not just about romantic relationships, because I think it's so easy for people who've been in a, had a bad history with toxic romantic relationships. And then the mom who has the codependent relationship with her child, it's like, oh, but she's just a good mother. Right. And we really put some shame on people who've had failed romantic relationships that I would like, I, I would like to see, you know, <laughs> Done. I would like to see that over. Yeah. When when I was raising my daughter, she had to be pretty independent because I was a single mom mostly. And I remember going to her high school and um, she had to get some books from the library. And I met these other moms that were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get these books for my kids in the library. I'm going to go take care of this. And I thought, wow, that is so codependent. Like, you know, your kids can do this themselves. And so I really raised my daughter. It's one thing I really did well was to be really independent. So she had to go pick those books out herself. So that is a form of, of codependency, doing for others what they can do, for, doing for others things that they can actually do for themselves. You know, that's that's really the truth. Um, and again, this can show up in friendships. It can show up, you know, let's say you are a volunteer at a church and you, you know, you say yes to everything. You never say no. And you, you, you can't. Well, I'll tell you this much. If you're a resentful person, you're probably a codependent. Agreed. Because, Martyr. Yeah, you're a martyr and, you know, and, and you want to look really good. And the reason you want to look good, and again, this goes much deeper, is there's this like false self that you're trying to portray because you probably grew up in a very um, embarrassing childhood environment, very dysfunctional family of origin. So you're going to try to look really good. So if I do all these nice things at the church fair or I do all these nice things, you know, for somebody else, then I'm going to look so good because the worst thing that could happen to me is to look bad. You know, and that's also similar to a narcissist. But the only difference is a narcissist isn't the giver, but he wants to look good. So he'll look good to everyone on the outside. But when the door is closed, he is certainly not being the giver in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what in the world do you do about it? <laughs> if, you, if you recognize yourself, either as a codependent or a love addict, what do you do? Well, first, I just want to remind people that um, you, it doesn't just have to be the premature baby trauma type thing. I mean, it could. this can also emerge because you were um, abused, molested, God forbid, you were neglected. Your parents were addicts, alcoholics, they were unavailable. Maybe you were, you were, you were brought up by a single mother who was busy, you know, working all the time. And so you, you, it's basically, you had no parental, uh, they were unavailable. They were just plain unavailable. And so you become 
very invisible to yourself and everything you do becomes other focused. And that's how you become a love addict or codependent. So I just wanted to have people understand that it isn't just my story that makes you a codependent. There's many reasons that this can happen when you're um, when you grow up in a dysfunctional home and you don't have your needs met, which is really what it's about. But some of the things you want to do is, well, first of all, just being on this podcast today and listening to Sarah and myself and all the work that Sarah's doing in the world is it's the awareness. Like now you have an awareness. Oh, this is interesting. And, and then you make a decision to change. And you stop looking for external solutions for your problems because everything is inside of you for sure. You start looking at all your fears and fear is a big one. Like we pick this person because we're afraid to be alone or you help this person because you want to feel because you're afraid if you don't feel needed, they'll leave you. Um, You want to move out of denial. You know, often we know we see the red flags. We go out dating. We know that this isn't a good match, but we we just ignore, ignore, ignore. We go into denial. We minimize, we rationalize. You want to really look at those things. You, you suppress your trauma from your childhood, which, um, you know, again, you want to really look at your trauma piece and then, you know, do some self-parenting. Um, I do a lot of inner child, outer child and adult child work with my clients. And it's about separating out. Is this our inner child that needs this? Is it our, is this, are we acting out our outer child or is this our adult self? Are we being our adult self being the best version of who we can be? Um, become more loving to yourself, become more forgiving. I had to really forgive myself for a lot. You know, I'm one of those people that, we, you know, Sarah and I were talking earlier about some things and I have to be hit on the head like a zillion times before I finally get it. So be compassionate with yourself. You get it when you get it. And there, you know, there's no race here. Um, use all of your experiences, your the pain that you've gone through to grow and prepare for a healthy relationship. You know, trust in yourself. Um, learn how to let go easily um, and get therapy, work with a good therapist, uh, maybe attend a a 12-step program. I have a wonderful program called Wake Up Recovery for Codependence. It's a dollar to join. And I think we're going to put it in the show notes. And that's just a tribe of people going through the same thing because there's nothing more powerful than having other people to go through this journey with. It really is, is so powerful. I mean, I remember when I was a single mom, I joined a single parent group. So, you know, just like your group, Sarah, you know, being with other like-minded people can be so powerful. And it makes you feel not only not alone, but understood and heard. Yeah. Yeah. Heard. Exactly. That's what we, and that's what a codependent wants anyway, is to be heard. But it's so you, so having this tribe, you get heard and acknowledged. And then, you know, it's kind of like there's a saying in the 12 step program, we'll love you till you love yourself. So there's no shame that you're just starting this journey. And maybe there isn't a lot of self-love. You don't have a lot of self-esteem, but I promise you, you have the love of the community. You will, you will gain self-esteem. Do you have a favorite technique that you use to help build self-esteem or self-love? Oh gosh. Well, to me, self-esteem is based on doing esteemable things. So just, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't rush past that. I love that statement. Okay. So self-esteem is based on doing esteemable things. Right. So like being on this podcast is doing an esteemable thing because you're taking care of you and you're learning about yourself. Reading a really good book about an issue is an esteemable act. It doesn't have to be gigantic. You know, it can be baby steps. Um, for me, like right now, I'm, I'm kind of in a dating phase and I'm really learning how to date instead of just glob onto the first person that gives me attention. And it isn't easy for me because I, you know, I, I still have these, you know, uh, what can I say? I still have these like 
desire sometimes to connect, connect, connect. And I'm, I'm just feeling so good about myself because not only can I be on my own, but I can really be um, discerning who I really want to be with, who I want to be in a relationship with. So I'm doing real dating instead of globbing on. And that makes you feel, that's making me feel like really esteemable, right? Um, what else? Uh, gosh, there's just, you know, it's, it's just getting a therapist is esteemable. You know, doing something different than you've already doing something different than what you've always done, right? Like, you know, we know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So doing something different and going, you know, contrary action to what you usually do is an esteemable act. Doesn't have to be huge. I have to remind you of that. In my book, I have a little note and it says, Dear Sarah, if it's not working, stop doing it. <laughs> and I that's a good one, Sarah. I need to do that one for what we were talking about earlier. We were talking earlier about some business stuff. And I'm like, I need to do that. I can just say, stop doing that. <laughs> it's, it's a reminder. I, you know, there's always a new thing in our life that pops up that we need to create change in. And it's still something, dear Sarah, if it's not working, stop doing it. Dear Sarah, if it's not working, stop doing it. And things like, you know, this podcast, if it's working, lean in. Yeah. Lean in, lean into what's working, even being honest and transparent. Like a lot of people are really surprised that I'm so honest about my story being like, Oh, she's a licensed therapist. How could she have any issues? Come on. We're all human. And most people really appreciate when I share my story because then they feel like I'm not alone. They also appreciate that I'm older and, you know, I didn't kind of get all this really until I was in my fifties and that's okay too. Um, I'm all about like, just let's get rid of the shame. You know, we get it when we get it, you know, life, we have a long journey ahead. If we're very spiritual, we believe that it's infinite and never too late to learn any of these principles. I love it. Well, Sherry, thank you for coming here and helping us on our journey. Do any last words of wisdom? And, and then I will start with telling people where they can find more out about you and then give us some uh, last words of wisdom. Sure. Um, so I have a book, Love Smacked, on Amazon. I have my $1 trial program, Wake Up Recovery for Codependence. And um, I also have a free ebook on uh, what, it, you know, what is love addiction and do you have, oh, well, actually, I'm going to give a, a different ebook to you, to your audience because of who you um, serve. It's, it's about narcissistic, it's narcissistic partners and love addicts. So I will make sure that you get those links and hopefully you'll have, you'll put them in the show notes, but again, a free ebook on narcissistic partners and love addicts, my $1 trial program for codependence and love addicts and my book love smacked. And then if they just want to Google my name, I am all over the place. Sherry Gaba. Yeah. She's had a very cool history of uh, television appearances. And I'm sure this is like the top of your, you know, when you get to the end of your life, it's going to be like, man, that time I was on toxic person proof. Like that was, <laughs> that was the moment. Again, I want people to know I do a lot. I give a lot of free stuff out, lots of blogs, lots of videos. So definitely, you know, if you're not ready to purchase my book or get into my program, just Google my name. There'll be lots of good stuff for you to learn from. Oh, and my IG handle is codependency curious, which people love codependency curious. Absolutely. Sherry, well, I've loved our conversation. Any last words of wisdom? Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you for giving me this platform. Thank you for the work you do in the world. And my last words of wisdom is there's no shame. You're, it's never too late to um, to learn all the things that you're learning. It's, it's never too late. Don't ever look back. Don't have regrets. You get it when you get it. 
I love it. Well, Sherry, thank you for helping us on our journey to becoming toxic person proof. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know that there was something that you can take away to help you get past the past, get real about the present, or get serious about your future. And if I did my job, then hopefully it will help you with all three. If you are not in my Facebook group, Finding Love and Success After a Toxic Relationship, then consider this your personal invitation from me. I'm there live. There's tons of support. And most importantly, tons more information to help you on your journey to become toxic person proof.